You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. An Alternative CSR Pyramid Having unmasked these myths, I decided to look at Archie Carroll's CSR pyramid of economic, legal, ethical and philanthropic responsibilities, as we described in the Age of Management chapter, and to see how well it fitted the African context. My conclusion was that the relative priorities of CSR in Africa are likely to be different from the classic American ordering, and that Carroll's CSR pyramid may not be the best model for understanding CSR in general and CSR in Africa in particular. I then broadened this to propose an alternative CSR pyramid for developing countries, which I will describe briefly as follows. Of course, I was not the first to question Carroll's model, and Carroll himself was never opposed to alternative orderings to suit the local context. Leading CSR academics... Andrew Crane and Dirk Matten, observed in 2007 that all levels of CSR described in the pyramid play a role in Europe, but they have different significance and furthermore are interlinked in a somewhat different manner. In the same way, my contention is that the order of the CSR layers in developing countries, if these are taken as an indicator of the relative emphasis assigned to various priorities and responsibilities, differs from Carroll's classic pyramid. Hence, in developing countries, economic responsibilities still get the most emphasis. However, philanthropy is given second-highest priority, followed by legal and then ethical responsibilities. Economic responsibility is the most obvious and important focus of CSR. It is well known that many developing countries suffer from a shortage of foreign direct investment, as well as from high unemployment and widespread poverty. Therefore, the economic contribution of companies in developing countries is highly prized by governments and communities alike. Hence, in developing countries, CSR tends to stress the importance of economic multipliers and economic value added. Philanthropic responsibility is the next most important for several reasons. First, there are often strong indigenous and religious traditions of philanthropy. Second, the socio-economic needs of developing countries are so great that philanthropy is an expected norm. It is considered the right thing to do by business. Third, companies realize that they cannot succeed in societies that fail, and philanthropy is seen as the most direct way to improve the prospects of the communities in which their businesses operate. Fourth, over the past 50 years, many developing countries have become reliant on foreign aid or donor assistance. Hence, there is often an ingrained culture of philanthropy. And finally, developing countries are often still at an early stage of maturity in CSR, sometimes even equating CSR and philanthropy, rather than embracing the more embedded approaches. Legal responsibility generally has a lower priority than in developed countries, because the legal system does not function as well. This does not necessarily mean that companies flout the law, but there is far less pressure for good conduct. 
This is because in many developing countries the legal infrastructure is poorly developed and often lacks independence, resources and administrative efficiency. Corruption and government capacity for enforcement in particular remain serious limitations and reduce the effectiveness of legislation as a driver for CSR. Ethical responsibility has an influence on the CSR agenda in developing countries, but it remains limited. Despite progress on issues of corporate governance in some countries, these are still the exception rather than the rule. For instance, in Transparency International's annual Corruption Perceptions Index and Global Corruption Barometer, developing countries usually make up the bulk of the most poorly ranked countries. Furthermore, survey respondents from these countries generally agree that corruption still affects business to a large extent. The World Bank's Investment Climate Survey paints a similar picture. It is important to say that this CSR pyramid is an illustration of how CSR typically manifests in developing countries, rather than an aspirational view of what CSR in developing countries should look like. For example, I am not proposing that legal and ethical responsibilities should get such a low priority, but rather that they do in practice. In contrast, if we are to work towards an ideal CSR pyramid for CSR in developing countries, I would argue that improved ethical responsibilities, incorporating good governance, should be assigned the highest CSR priority in developing countries. In my view, governance reform holds the key to improvements in all the other dimensions, including economic development, rule of law and voluntary action. Hence, embracing the more transparent, ethical governance practices should form the foundation of CSR practices in developing countries, which in turn will provide the enabling environment for more widespread responsible business. Anglo-Americans' CSR Pyramid Let's use the global mining company Anglo-American as an example to illustrate this alternative CSR pyramid. On economic responsibilities, they state that our economic contribution extends far beyond the profits we generate. They divide them into two categories. First, value added in the course of production and the wider effects of these activities, for example through payments to suppliers and multiplier effects, as well as investments in staff, technology transfer and investment. And second, the value to society of their products, which are used in the manufacture of goods that underpin the modern way of life and for which there are few ready substitutes. Hence, their value-added statement includes disclosures for employment, distribution of economic benefits to employees and suppliers, tax and related payments to governments, capital expenditure, black economic empowerment and returns to shareholders. Seen this way, Anglo-Americans' economic contribution in Africa exceeds the GDP of many individual African countries. Demonstrating locality, Anglo-American is now subject to the South African Mining Charter, which is a binding commitment by industry to increase the access of previously disadvantaged individuals to the mineral resources of the country and their associated economic benefits. They do this through prioritised development and promotion of previously disadvantaged employees 
as well as enter into financial partnerships with empowerment companies and procurement from black-owned firms. In addition, Anglo-American established the Anglo-Cooler Mining Fund to promote the entry of black economic empowerment participants into junior mining companies. In terms of philanthropic responsibilities, Anglo-American declared in one of its CSR reports that in developing countries there is still a significant role for philanthropic programs. Their primary vehicle for charitable engagement in Africa is the Anglo-American Chairman's Fund, which was established in 1975 and aims to enable people to take greater control over their daily lives. One of the major focuses of this fund in Africa demonstrating a global prioritization is HIV and AIDS. On legal responsibilities, not surprisingly, Anglo-American claim legal compliance as one of their fundamental business principles, saying we respect the laws of host countries and we will comply with all laws and regulations applicable to our businesses and to our relationships with our stakeholders. In addition, each year they disclose legal actions against the company for breaches of safety legislation and environmental incidents, both resulting in fines. The point is not so much the company's commitment to legal compliance, but rather that it is given relatively less importance as a driver in the pursuit of CSR, as compared with economic and philanthropic pressures. Finally, regarding ethical responsibilities, Anglo-American notes its support for the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative as a means of increasing stakeholder confidence, reducing opportunities for embezzlement, and stimulating debate around how revenues are allocated most effectively in resource-dependent economies. In their statement of business principles, Anglo-American also insists that we are implacably opposed to corruption. We will not offer, pay or accept bribes or condone anti-competitive practices in our dealings in the marketplace and we will not tolerate any such activity by our employees. To back up this commitment, in 2003 they launched a whistleblowing facility in order to allow employees to anonymously report any violations of Anglo-Americans' business principles or any legal or ethical concerns. Local CSR drivers. One of the ways locality is determined is that each region, country or community has a different combination of CSR drivers. The art of locality, therefore, is to determine which CSR incentives and pressures are most applicable to the local context. Of the ten typical CSR drivers I have identified, five are local or internal drivers, namely pressures from within the country or community. Let's look at each of these now. First, cultural tradition. In many countries and regions, CSR draws strongly on deep-rooted indigenous cultural traditions of philanthropy, business ethics and community embeddedness. For example, in a survey of over 1,300 small and medium-sized enterprises in Latin America, Antonio Vives found that the region's religious beliefs are one of the major motivations for CSR. In Asia, a study by scholars Wendy Chappell and Jeremy Moon reached a similar conclusion, namely that CSR does vary considerably among Asian countries, 
but that this variation is not explained by levels of development, but by factors in the respective national business systems. And in Africa, I have found that the values-based tradition of African humanism or Ubuntu is what underpins many of the modern inclusive approaches to CSR on the continent. Second, political reform. CSR cannot be divorced from socio-political reform processes which often drive business behaviour towards integrating social and ethical issues. For example, the political and associated social and economic changes in Latin America since the 1980s, including democratization, liberalization and privatization, have shifted the role of business towards taking greater responsibility for social and environmental issues. In South Africa, the political changes towards democracy and redressing the injustices of the past were also a significant driver for CSR through the practice of improved corporate governance, collective business action for social upliftment, black economic empowerment and business ethics. Likewise, more recently, the goal of accession to EU membership has acted as an incentive for many Central and Eastern European countries to focus on CSR. Third, socio-economic priorities. CSR is typically shaped by local priorities. For instance, while poverty alleviation, healthcare provision, infrastructure development and education may be high on many developing country agendas, this stands in stark contrast to many Western CSR priorities, such as consumer protection, fair trade, green marketing, climate change or socially responsible investment. Stefan Schmidheine questions the appropriateness of imported CSR approaches, citing many examples from Latin America where pressing issues like poverty and tax avoidance are central to CSR but are often absent from international CSR agendas. Fourth, governance gaps. CSR is frequently seen as a way to plug the governance gaps left by weak, corrupt or under-resourced governments that fail to adhere adequately to providing social services, such as housing, roads, electricity, healthcare, education, and so on. Academics Dirk Matten and Jeremy Moon see this as part of a wider trend in developing countries with weak institutions and poor governance, in which responsibility is often delegated to private actors, be they family, tribe, religion, or increasingly business. A survey by the World Business Council for Sustainable Development illustrates this. When asked how CSR should be defined, Ghanaians stressed building local capacity and filling in where government falls short. The fifth local driver is crisis response. Crises often have the effect of catalyzing CSR responses, albeit in the mostly philanthropic kind. For example, the economic crisis in Argentina in 2001 marked a significant turning point in CSR, prompting debates about the role of business in poverty alleviation. Similarly, Hurricane Katrina in the USA and HIV-AIDS in South Africa had the effect of galvanizing CSR. The examples are endless, be they the industrial accidents of the 1970s and 1980s, such as Cervezo, Balpal and Exxon Valdez, 
or the environmental and human rights fiascos of the 1990s, be it for Shell, Nike or McDonald's, and even the corporate governance and natural disasters of the 2000s, such as Enron, Katrina and the Sichuan earthquake. 